Blog Talk Radio. First, 2021. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Tanya Hathaway with Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told. We are being broadcast on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB FM Lighthouse Christian Radio out of Oklahoma and the surrounding areas. Marty Oakley has plenty of other, she has several other hosts uh, on her on her uh, TS radio network uh, with some incredible, very important subjects uh, that is constantly breaking news as well as some conversations that are just, you know, just great tabletop conversations like we've had right here as well. Marty, can you give a a briefing on some of your shows uh, before we move forward with the show uh, and I introduce the guests that we have? We do a Monday night general show with John LeCron. We talk law, banking, whatever comes along. Uh, Tuesday night, of course, is you again. And Wednesday night, every other Wednesday night, Betrayed by Hospice with Marcia Joyner, the people that are being intentionally uh, euthanized in um, hospice to get just to get rid of them. And Thursday night is Whistleblowers, where people from agencies or Organizations across the United States blow the whistle on fraud, abuse, abuse and waste. <coughs> Excuse me. And we are associated with the Whistleblower Summit in D.C. and Marcia, Marcel Reed. On Friday night is me and Kaz. We cover guardianship and all the estate theft and how they're calling the elderly and robbing them blind before they do. But anyway, that's it, Tanya. That's all we do. Well, oh, thank you. That's all. That's not. That's not all. This is huge. It's a really um, quite quite a network um, that that Marty has, and uh, how many people that she's brought together. Uh, so always appreciate that. And Stephen Burke's eighty nine point nine uh, out of Oklahoma and the surrounding areas. He has been broadcasting Saturdays, um, talking a great deal about uh, the corruption, and uh, he's just taking it upon himself. To you know, open up the airways. Um, you know, to it's a Christian radio station, and nobody else. Very few people are talking about the things that he is talking about, and um, on Christian radio stations, uh, many people, you know, walk on eggshells. You know, when it comes to those stations, and Stephen Burke has, you know, said, you know, this is it is his job to come out and you know, make sure that people hear what they need to hear. Because as we know, you're not hearing the things on mainstream media, not even touching on the subjects that you need to know about if you're concerned about what's really going on in the world today as opposed to the narrative that mainstream media, for the most part, 
is is pushing on you. And and I mean that on all levels of mainstream media, not just not just one venue. I mean it on all of them. Okay, so you need to do your own research, but also you want to tune in to the, these alternative media offerings like TS Radio Network and like Stephen Burke's Saturday. If you're in Oklahoma, you know, anywhere in the surrounding area, you really, really need to hear what some of these subjects are that uh, he is bringing front and center. Okay. Um, so we have quite a show tonight, and I really do want to get started right away. But first, I want to say hi to my mom, my mom in New Hampshire, for listening. Mom, two hours, so I, I'm not going to blame you if you have to go to bed earlier. <laughs> um, love you, Mom. Uh, tonight's show okay. is uh, yeah, we have Tanya, Ricky, can, Oscar. Yes. Yeah. Can I break in here for just a minute? If Please you do. are a guest on the show, and I yes. And and you bring your, we bring you live, which all of you are. Please, we can pick up and hear any noise in the background, TVs, conversations, whatever you're doing, picks up live on the microphone. So, if uh, you're a guest, please quiet everything down in your background. We'd appreciate it. Okay, and anybody who calls in, which we, you know, we'll we'll I'll be taking some calls. Uh, please try to be in as quiet an area as possible, too. The number to call into will be 917-388-4520. Then you're going to have a number one. Press the number one uh, when you hear the system pick up. Again, that number is 917-388-4520. Press the number one. Uh, we have with us tonight, we're very, very grateful to have with us, uh, Ricky Oscar Williams, and he is, uh, he knows firsthand uh, what the conditions are in the Dick Connors prison uh, facility. And if you did not hear uh, or see the post, people, uh, I want you to understand that what the promo said is that the town of Hominy, which is where Dick Connors prison facility is, they have purposely shut off the system. The heat uh, and and other things, uh, which puts the prisoners in a really really tough condition, uh, inhumane, unconstitutional to uh, inmates' rights. And actually, I heard about this this morning when uh, when Trisha Hubbard uh, brought this to my attention. So Trisha Hubbard is as well with us. So uh, hello to both of you. Hello. Hello. Okay. Hi. And then we've got um, Melissa Hurry. And she is with us tonight, and she is going to um, probably listen to the most of the, the, the first part of the show, uh, but she is going to update us on policies, bills that are going forward, on things that you're going to be able to do that are very, very important that seems to be overlooked by many people. And she's going to emphasize the importance and the value of certain things that are going forward that can actually free the men like uh, Richard Glossop, Julius Jones, and others that are in very similar circumstances. So we're going to get into a great in-depth conversation with Melissa Hurry, all right? Uh, and she's, she's an expert in conviction integrity units and the ethics and uh, very, very much engaged and engrossed in, um, in these, these bills uh, and, and wants you to know 
want you to know what you can do out there, all right? What you can do to help your loved ones, what you can do to help with humanity. Humanity, just the fact that people are on death row and there's a real good chance, slam dunks (laughs) for many, some, you know, whatever is one is too many, um, that would set people free and not be put to death. How can that possibility even be there that somebody can be put to death and yet the state can say, no, we're not admitting certain evidences, so we're going to put them to death anyways. How can that be so? All right? So this is going to be very important for everybody to stick around and learn how to take action that will make a difference in whether that could make a difference whether people live or die, live or die. Okay, sometimes there's more things to do, better things to do than just phone calls. Phone calls are great, but we need traceable things. And Melissa is going to tell you exactly what you can do. Okay, Uh, first off, um, Teresa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, my name is Patricia Hubbard Fox. I've been involved in prison ministry since 1984. I've been involved with um, Oklahoma prison system since 1992. Um, have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, another one in legal studies, uh, mental health, uh, master's in mental health. And so uh, I lived in Oklahoma 21 years, so there's not much I don't know about inside and outside the system and, and things. And um, I'm a lifer's wife as well. So I know it from the inside out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you want him out, that's for sure. Well, of course. Uh, you know, uh, he, you know, he's been incarcerated since he just turned 19, and that's been almost 42 years ago. So uh, no other criminal, you know, before or since and, and the whole nine yards. But that's, like you said, that's a different show. Has to do with the right, but the district yeah, attorney. Yeah, we do need to uh, have you on and want to hear about right. all the details Const- on that. Yeah, because district attorneys constantly, you know, and and they have a very uh, heavy influence on the pro board, and so it's like they keep um, uh, re convicting the same person for the same crime over and over and over again. But tonight, this morning, I got a call. Okay, we all know there's been a deep freeze that happened, and and that's nobody's fault, but. Um, and and Dick, Dick Connors Correctional Center in Hominy, Oklahoma, is an old prison, and there's been a lot of trouble with water um, and, and lines breaking and stuff for the last two, three years. It seems like it always happens during the heat wave of the summer, but this time, you know, I've been over a week, and, and there's, like, no water. If there's no water, then the boilers, because they use the boilers for the heat, so if there's no water, there's no heat, and... Um, you know, it's been bad. Uh, you know, the inmates have been wearing all of their clothes. They're allowed seven pieces of clothes trying to stay warm. And that might work for a day or two, but after an acu- accumulative effect, you know, it gets it, it's sick. It's dangerous, you know. Not to mention the fact that they are locked up in little cement block cells, so that holds the cold. Um, the thing is, this morning, I mean, I know they've been without water, but this morning I learned the reason why they've been without water, and I'm really livid about this, 
the city of Hominy decided to turn off the water to Dick Connors to, um, so they wouldn't have a, a major shutdown everywhere. I mean, they didn't know if they would, but they did this as a preventive measure so that the city, so the people in the city, the residences, would not lose their water. So they decided, well, the inmates out there, they're just a bunch of animals. Who cares? Let's shut off their water, you know, to make sure we have plenty of water for the free people who are capable of turning on electric heaters, going someplace else, flush their toilets and all that stuff. So these inmates out there have been over about 1,100 inmates or so at Dick Connors for the last couple of weeks since the whole deep freeze started, you know, stuck in these little cells, not able to flush their toilets. I mean, the whole nine yards, you know, it affects everything. If there's no water, there's no heat, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm starting to repeat myself. But now, I live it now. It's, not a, it's not a private prison? No, that's a state-run prison, um, you know, but the city. So the city needs to be sued for this because this is, uh, they deliberately shut it off. Um, they're breaking contracts. They're making money off the prison, obviously. But they don't care, and uh, you know the health department needs to be made aware of this. There's just no excuse for this. It's just inhumane. Uh, Joanna Payne, who's a mother of um, one of the inmates out there, she, she's a little more eloquent than I am. <laughs> Talking, I get really excited when I get really mad. And you're doing anyway, great. You're, posted, good. you're doing great. She posted this a little while ago. I noticed, and she said uh, it's just taken from Channel Eight, ABC. Tulsa on uh, 219 in Hominy, Oklahoma. Water being shut off in the city in the city of Hominy is causing some issues at Dick Connor Correctional Center. The Oklahoma Department of Corrections said that inmates and staff at the prison sir, currently have a three-day supply of drinking water. It's back on the 19th. In addition, water buffaloes are set on site. And we're not talking about the live animals. Um, the prison so staff can get buckets of water to pour into toilets so they can be flushed, da 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 and you know, for washing dishes and things like this. Um the thing is, you know, like when my husband called he said, you know, they got he's got a little tiny cooler and you know, like when there was snow out there they go out there, they pack snow in it and take it in and try to get it melt down. It's not too easy to melt it down when it's cold and, and there's no heat in the cells, you know, so they can try and flush toilets and things like and, that. And what's the temperature uh, there now, would you say? Uh, he said, well, he said he thinks now, because it's warmed up a little outside, he thinks it's around 60, but it has been le- less than that. And 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 guards are, are required to report that and, and put it online. And, again, you can't really blame the prison for this. It's the city of Hominy that did this to Dick Connors. You know, they need DLC needs to sue that, sue them. At least, and I'll give I'm gonna you know give Dick Connors this much. At least uh, they started out giving them two bottles of drinking water after after the first week or so. It didn't happen the first week, uh, and and now they're up to about four bottles a day, providing the inmates go and get. The water, you know, they get one at breakfast, one at lunch, one at two at supper. But then again, they've got to use the water to heat to fix their own oatmeal and, and their own coffee and stuff. But at least it's better than than nothing, you know. I mean, there's been times there's been absolutely nothing. And um, and, and the canteens, of course. Now, really not happy about that. People, you know, if you're going to work in a canteen, you know what people want. You should be ordering that so that there's plenty of it. Canteens have been out of food, out of 
you know, most of the food, and and uh, that's not been operating properly. They need to do something about that so the inmates can at least, you know, buy stuff and have it in the cell for when this kind of crazy stuff happens. The thing is, uh, the one thing about Dick Connors, they do have electric. So, you know, bring in the heaters if you have to, you know. They have those major uh, factory kind of heaters, you know. They could put one of them in each pod, you know. Well, right. That That's this done. is my I'm thing is I wonder, and again, we want these people as allies, right? We want, you know, as many allies as possible, but I don't find that the Department of Corrections, for the most part, has been an ally um, for prisoners' uh, conditions, uh, for right. they, conditions they because that, there's they, so much of this that's happening in other areas, um, other other uh, other facilities, um, where you know, yes, it's maybe the town didn't shut or the city didn't shut down the water. But they're in living in inhumane conditions. Do you think? Do you think that right. the Department of Corrections is upset about this on on behalf of um, on behalf of uh, the inmates, or do you think more that uh, maybe it's the Dick Connors um, staff that is more upset? Uh, you know, because I haven't heard a whole lot of bad things coming out of Dick Connors, but I could be wrong, and maybe I'm ready for an education. Um, yeah, but. What do you have to say about that? And Ricky, what do you have to say about it? Ricky, uh, Ricky Oscar Williams, um, can you, you would you like to introduce yourself? You've been on the show a few times. Uh, we, yes, ma'am. You know, Hello, yeah, everybody. Yeah. My name is Ricky Williams. I'm glad to be here. I want everybody listening, especially those that are incarcerated, stand tall, stand strong, and just don't give up because it's tough. It's tough. And my heart goes out to you. I've been at Dick Connors a few times over the last four decades. I can remember specifically 10 years ago, it got down to 31 degrees below zero. We got an extra blanket. And like the lady earlier said, you know, you put on all your clothes, and then you start to take them off and use them for covers, and you get on the plastic. And once you start sweating on the plastic, you warm up. You just can't move. So anybody listening, that's how you survived extreme cold. You know, it was really humbling for me because I had always thought that that was just what came with prison, you know. That was just kind of the thing that come with prison. They don't care, ain't going to care. They're going to follow their orders. They got to pay their mortgages. They got to send their kids to school. They got to pay their car payments. It's not them. It's their job to obey their supervisor's orders. And I just used to kind of look at it the same way, you know, the people in Nazi Germany. You know, they had a job to do, too. Personal with that, is that was a thing that happened. In fact, a friend of mine that was at Dick Connors, when the sewage would back up a foot, foot and a half on the floor in the bottom run, he ended up with a bad staphylococcia infection. And he was eventually released after 30 years. His name is Perry Lott. But he almost Perry, died. Yes, he was on our show. Yes. Yep. He almost died. And he had his, his, some parts of his spine is fused together. You know what I mean? He, because and, of that. And, and because of that. It wasn't the staff, but when the supervisor says no, they're not going to quit their job. They're not going to make them fire him. 
because they still have to take care of their families. And that's wherein the problem is the system itself. The way the system is designed, most people think it's broken. It was made that way. Yes. It was made that it was by its design. You know what I mean? Sure, most people don't care if inmates get too cold or get too hot or have heat strokes in the cell. That same summer from 10 years ago, it got up to 117 degrees outside. And me and an elderly inmate, was we didn't even have a fan. But we survived. It was like we we knew no one cared. There was nobody to tell, so you dealt with it. And tried to keep a positive attitude because being angry don't change nothing. I mean, we did a lot of praying, a lot of fasting. And when it was cold, we didn't move around too much unless we get up in the morning to eat. So then we'd jump up and down in place for 10 or 15 minutes to make sure we kept our blood flowing, to make sure we didn't get too cold. But I would hope that, you know, like she said, that uh, with the city of Harmony, that's a, a, they've been doing that for 40 years, cutting Dick Connor's water off. They're the first ones to cut it off and the last ones to get cut off. And they need to be sued for it. Well, it's some type of contract that they have that, I mean, that's like an uncle suing a cousin and a grandma suing a granddaughter. They're all interconnected. Everybody's intercorrect, inter, interconnected, so it wouldn't... I don't think it would go over that way. You know, it's, it's, it's being it's, condoned, it's, in other words. Well, it's it's like that's one of those things. You know, it's just one of those things. And that's why a lot of times the staff, in certain ways, will try to make up to certain individuals because they knew that they should have helped them and legally and morally should have helped them, but their supervisors wouldn't allow it. So they have a moral conundrum, right? You know the the system. The system is 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 it's just a warehouse now. You put people in there, you, especially for private prison, they're worth about what sixty five bucks a day now, plus all the meds they use. Somebody's making money off that. Everybody's making money off the inmate population, and it's like the scripture: "No weapon formed against me shall prosper." Shall prosper. What happens if you're the weapon formed against your own self? Who wins? When you send money to buy commissary, that money doesn't go to help benefit the inmate population. That goes to the type of conditions that they just live through. It goes for uniforms for the COs. You know what I mean? I understand everybody wants their loved ones to have some comfort and enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning and maybe some oatmeal and a dinner roll. But the money used is the biggest issue used against the inmate population. It's like you're, it's like uh, rewarding negative behavior, for better use of a word, because they don't care. I mean, they might care, but when you look at the history of the penal system, there's only been a few times throughout our history in the last 50, 60 years that any type of reform has ever took place, any type of reform. And, and, and the sad part about it, some people had to lose their lives in order for the conditions to get, like Dick Connors, 
it was one of the first new prisons that was built. Now it's trash. 43 years old. 42 years oh my old. God. Now it's trash. You know, it's it's just not trash. that old. It shouldn't be trash. No. It's just trash. It all, from the beginning, the sewage never worked right. You can wake up in the morning and you've got a foot of sewer water in your cell and everything that was on the floor is just floating. Oh, my gosh. And, that and that's still happened. happening. It's been happening, I know of, since 1982. Especially, so like she mentioned, every summer. Contract, cut corners. You know, this is my hypothesis. This is, okay, there was a contract given to somebody that was, you know, connected. Cut corners. You know, money was handed over. You, you know what I mean? You know, it, it's just a right. little payoff, in my opinion. What? How can a 40-year-old prison be so bad 20 years ago? You know what I mean? It was bad from right after they built it. Yep. They so why does this happen? Because... Why does this happen? Why does Oklahoma claim to be dirt poor? Where's the money going? Deep pockets. It's not going there. It's Deep not pocket. going there. Yes. And the sad part is you have these guys that are really, really trying to do the right thing, have corrected their thinking and their actions, been penitent for whatever they did or maybe did not do because you have some innocent people in prison and just waiting for their opportunity to live and be productive. And they can't even get 15 seconds of the parole board's attention. And they yes, wait three, true. five, eight years for that. They don't even get 15 seconds. That is a systematic problem yes. with the parole board. There's because too many you said people. it's not designed to, it's not designed to be successful. The recidivism no. rate is is, uh, is is what's bringing in the money. You know, and that's the why is, there's not. It just seems as though the reform uh, goes by the wayside, and yet, uh, you know, you've got people like Michael Johnson and Rhonda Champagne who have um, figured out how to how to reform people. And it went from like 15% or 20% um, that actually did not recommit crimes to like 85%. And yet that was shut down. This is in Montana. Yet that was shut down. Why? Because big nonprofits were no longer needed which meant lobbying, money, politics. So this is, uh, so yeah, I agree with you. It's not meant to succeed. It's not meant to succeed. One of the best things that happened was, uh, I'm sorry? President, one of the best things that happened was when President, uh, the second Bush, had the faith-based initiative about 20 years ago. And you had a lot of Kairos, you had a therapeutic community, you had programs, and you had programs that was recognized by congressmen, senators, the governor of the state. You know, they would come to graduations and actually participate, you know what I mean, and and, and see what was going on. And a lot of people were able to get out of prison that you would never thought would get an opportunity to get out of prison. And... Now, 20 years later, 
they're in there basically just waiting to die. You know, I know so many men that either went to prison in their late teens or early 20s that's almost in my age, near their 60s now. And that's where they've been all that that's time. Right. All that time. And now these crimes don't necessarily mean somebody committed a murder or anything like that either, too, right? Yes. But, I mean, even the ones who had committed murder 20 years ago or that participated in these programs were getting second chances. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and most of them are still on the streets. And they're doing fine. So you're doing fine, great. Because you give somebody hope. Yes. You know what I mean? I thought it was. I started out as it was a game. They had this guy. Look, if you do what he did, you might can get out of prison too. So I said, "What I got to lose? I'll give it a right. shot." And I was the next guy that they. Hey, if you do what Ricky Williams did, you yeah. might make parole too, and get out of prison or get your sentence modification or. You know, things of that nature. But they took all the programs out. And the faith-based initiative was a real big thing. You had churches coming to the prison, you know, two or three churches every night or every day with a program coming to do their program, where it was thinking for a change, anger management, you know, various different programs. Uh, what is it, uh, 40 Days of Purpose, you know, various different programs and people would participate and put their all in it because they this might help them not only become a better person, but it gave them a support system mm-hmm. in the event that they were released. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's gone. Absolutely. And it's gone. It's gone. There's still no excuse for, for, for you know, they're making zillions of dollars off inmates. Because inmates are yes. commodities now, especially yes. thanks to mm-hmm. Frank Keating, who passed the laws that, you know, they pretty much never get out. But DOC can still, when, when emergencies happen, like what has happened in the last couple of weeks, they can come up with those big factory heaters or something. You know, the heat, the electric was not shut off. They could have provided that, and they didn't. So shame on them for you that. You know, the, the, I mean, icy road isn't their fault, but. There are things they could could have done and had to be done. A space heater in those small areas would have kept those cells very, very warm. A simple space heater. You know, a 20 bucks. They could even let, I'm sure most of the guys would have bought their own space heater. But it's the same thing in the summer. Well, this is just it. Why can't people, like, um, uh, you know, we know it's being talked about on the Ignite Justice and the coalition that's put together by um, Michael Washington. It's like, why can't uh, you're not a lot? People want to help. They want to provide blankets. They they want to be able to provide heaters. But for some reason, it, you know, I, I, come on now, you you can you can scan them. You can make sure nothing is in there. You know, but why aren't they allowing? Because they don't you know, make a profit off of it. They exactly, don't financially exactly. profit. That's what I was going to say. If it doesn't come through the canteen, they're not they're not getting any kickback for it. So why should no. they let something free in? It used to be that the the uh, 
Declaration of uh, Human Rights through the United Nations required that every prisoner in the world get two packages a year. They eventually figured out how to sell it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are you saying? What's the bottom line that you're saying? It turned into profit. Right. No, right. always follow the money. That's normal. Yeah. So, you know, we know that the Constitution, when it comes to uh, the prisoners, that it's different than you and I. Uh, and so what they say is, regarding the Eighth Amendment and the prisoner conditions, is that um, well, it's it the has to standard. be... The double standards. The double standards. If if they had four legs and a tail, they'd have warmth in in a, you know, in in the places where they keep dogs and cats. But, you know. (laughs) All right, we're here. We hear some noise in the background there. Okay, so I mean, we've got the eight. I have no idea. Individuals convicted of a crime. Uh, you know they have certain conditions and certain rights. So it, it what, but but that some of that is up to interpretation. Okay, regarding the food, regarding the heat. Uh, base, but basically, it, I, I do believe what it comes down to is, um, will you suffer harm? You know, will you suffer harm from uh, not well, having? Well, you, you know, take Richard. He's sixty years old. You know, being cold for two weeks, you know, what's that going to do his health, to his health? And then, of course, if the health sinks, well, then, uh, you know, then there goes more, quote, unquote, taxpayer money because I'm not going to let them get away with neglecting them. No, no. Right. This, is, this is my second rodeo. I'm, I'm a twice a lifer's wife. First time around, I bet you they spent a million dollars on him. He got an extra seven years of life before he died. But, you know. So, you know, they want to, you know, not keep them healthy. They're going to pay for it. They're going to lose mm-hmm. some of their profit. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. there are six um, major areas. Um, <laughs> there are six major cases in the uh, United States Supreme Court um, regarding uh, prisoners and defendants' rights. Um, so one of them goes as far back as a, 1803. Yeah, but it's when things happen uh, in the moment. You know, you can you can take it through the courts afterwards, but it's when things happen in the moment. Governor Stitt declared a state of emergency for the state of Colorado. I mean, Oklahoma. So all kinds of people all through Oklahoma are getting federal money for their broken pipes and all this stuff here. But what about you know what about the people like at Dick Connors? Uh, with no heat and all this, right. where's some of that money? Why don't some of that money go to some of these big, huge uh, uh, factory-sized fans big enough to heat up a whole pot or something for the next time something like this happens, you know? But I don't mm-hmm. think it'll, they'll, they'll There's no money that way. Preparedness. Exactly. You know, hire me. I got the credentials. Let me run DOC. You see a lot of differences in the hurt. Well, they'll probably shoot me, though, because... You know, the deep pockets would start losing some of their money. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you wouldn't survive it. They'd come after you. It's, um, <laughs> it doesn't scare me, though. I'd take the job. I bet you would. I got the credentials. 
I got the same degrees and all the experience that any of them are up there right now, except for I know a whole lot more. <coughs> Who has how to run things anyway, fairly? You know, because I'm like your wife, you know. I knew of one deputy director that didn't even have his GED when he started working for the DOC. <laughs> wow. No, seriously. I mean, it's been a lot of guys that got to they'll get their GED, they'll get a associate's degree online, maybe a bachelor's degree, and next thing you know, they're the deputy warden or the unit manager. And, and they didn't run anything. They probably never even ran a family. So what do they know about running anything? You know, it, and they set DOC up. Now the warden really doesn't run his own facility. That regional director runs those facilities. He's really? just responsible. Yes. Yeah, pretty the much. Warden the warden used to have authority to, to give good time back and release someone. The warden doesn't have that, even though the law says so. DOC writes their own policies that often conflict and uh, interpret the law. And it has the force and effect of law. There's a lot like if you have a violent offense, the law doesn't say you can't get your earned credits back. DOC policy says that. And I think it was in the late 90s. That's another change that's taken place that's a total violation. Yeah. And their earned credits that, mean absolutely nothing, Tanya, because the, because the parole board don't look at them anyway. You know, all the parole board, and they've got a guy named McCall on there who's a so-called retired judge who hates lifers, and, he, and he's even admitted the reason why he's on there is to say no to anyone who's a lifer or any, yeah, anyone who's a lifer, he's going to say no, 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 and he influences the other ones to follow him. And so, who's had you know, a violent... Who who was convicted exactly. of a violent under crime? The violent, the so-called violent umbrella, right? Yeah. So that's that's that, and he's proud of it. He brags about it. And he's proud of it, you know. So you know, and, it doesn't and matter. So he has no place as as a neutral as as a neutral party. He's already it's yeah. Like he, if you're in, if you're in a jury pool, you'd be kicked out. Exactly, but he's not because you know who you know who he sleep with, you know, <laughs> to get right. the, you know right. What's he got? What's he got on someone? You know, and this is what we need the representatives to pay attention to. You know, it's like. Go ahead. You know, Richard. Richard had every accommodation. He's got a home here that's paid for. Our vehicles. He's got a promise of a job up here. He had dozens of recommendations from places, even from from DOC. And two of the parole board members said yes. But then mm-hmm. McCall speaks up and goes, no. And as soon as he says no, the, the other ones that are weak, you know, they follow suit. Oh, no, mm-hmm. no, you know. You know, McCall has no business being on the parole board, you know, because, I mean, he, he it's has a conflict no business of being It's a conflict exactly. of interest also. He's, exactly. he's, uh, he's on the board overseeing many people that he put in for life. Exactly. Exactly. And as well, he it's yeah. my understanding that he is drawing his pension, which you're not allowed to do if you have another job with the state. I know. Deep pockets. I mean, you know, I mean, they make rule laws for all the rest of us to live by, but of course they have they have their own set of laws that they and rules that they live by. So, so Ricky, you've got a friend I agree that, with that. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And the thing is, 
is that because they are state officials, any mistake or error they make, because they may be civilly liable, it gets trash canned because they can't have they can't make a mistake. They can't if they break somebody's rights. They can't say I'm sorry I did that because then they're civilly liable. Yes. I mean, it's yep. it's uh, catch twenty two at least. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> things that where you can't win. Really, you might can find a way out. Like I was telling one of my friends, he's been incarcerated so long since the uh, riots at McAllister night in the early seventies, seventy three, I think. And we were laughing. He's sick, old. Dying, can't make medical parole, and we were talking, and, and and we were talking about when they used to weld him in his cell. That's how bad mm-hmm. it was then. They would, and I was telling, well, they locked the door, up, threw away the key. We might have to get somebody to come unweld the cell for you. But you know, it's like it's it's things. I know it's it's nice that people care. I'm not really used to that. You know, most people, well, you shouldn't have did what you did to get in there. That's the most prevailing uh, attitude. Yeah. So right. whatever you get, whatever happens to you, that's what you deserve. But that's not part of the punishment. Right, for the exactly. Guilty. And the innocent doesn't deserve that at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, the, the punishment is the punishment. And the innocent, they shouldn't even be in there to begin with And when they've been denied due process. But you weren't sentenced to getting hypothermia and practically dying. No, exactly. You weren't sentenced to, you know, we had quite a few shows on this um, over the summer, you know, abuse, literal, you know, inmate abuse, where it happens, when it happens. Um, And then these negligent conditions. Now, I'm, I'm reading from the Legal Information Institute right now. Um, there's uh, under judicial review court, this regarding uh, prisoner rights. Courts tend to defer to prison officials regarding prisoners' rights. Okay, so as long as the conditions or the degree of a person's confinement, a prisoner's confinement are within the sentence and not otherwise violative of the Constitution, the due process clause does not require judicial oversight. When prison regulations infringe on inmates' constitutional rights, the courts do not apply strict scrutiny. Rather, the rational basis test is used to determine whether the infringement might stand. Okay, so I click on the rational basis test, and guess what? It is not found. What they think it is. They're a rational basis. So, so there's like I'm seeing at least here. Where's you know where are you supposed to go? If this is a, 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 a interpretate up to interpretation. No, the inmates' rights are. How many people have to die? That's a good question. How many have already died that no they one just knew don't about? Care. It's all about 
deep pockets and their inmates are commodities and there's always someone to replace them. That was a That's their young attitude. Man. That's their attitude. Making money on about, them. That's it. About 15 years ago, I was in like the hospice care at a Lexington facility. And the guy had already had his arms and legs amputated. And my job was, you know, help him move around, get dressed. Well, he had a doctor's appointment. So I went over a little early. We were laughing and joking. And the first thing they said when the van pulled off, we don't think he's going to make it back. Two hours later, they called back and said he died. But he was in good spirits, you know what I mean, laughing and joking and everything. But to Two hours later, he was dead for an unscheduled doctor's appointment. And And when they start costing them more medically, you know, they're going to disappear. They don't have someone, you know, putting a spotlight on them. You know, I don't know what the solution is, but the problem don't seem like it's going to go away. It's only going to get bigger. That's and true. I would think if it would probably take a different react whatever been people been doing hadn't worked or seemed to have worked yet, then I don't know what else to try. And that is why Melissa's or, coming on. That's why Melissa's yeah. coming on shortly. Uh because she really needs people to pay attention to uh to to doing things different, right? You know, because if you keep doing the same thing that hasn't worked over and over again then it's time to move on to to, to, to something else. Um, but uh, you have a friend, actually, that is just recovering from hypothermia, somebody that was in Dick Connors, correct? Yes, yes. Yes, ma'am. Were they like, up there on the hill? Were they up there on the hill, the, the like, W, I think? He was in K&M, K&M, is that, is that, Are those the ones up there on the hill? Because Richard was telling yes. me that up there on the hill is where it's colder. Yeah, it's you a know, cold up there. Yeah. I'm and, glad Richard uh, was in Jay, so thank God for that. You know, what What about those, like, a little emergency blankets, right? Or those These very thin things that you put in your car in case of an emergency, right? They're not oh, that, that expensive. <laughs> well, times 27,000 inmates, you know, so... It's- you're right. Well, <laughs> you multiply that like that. If, if they had those, like, mini space heaters, mini air conditioner, and they could sell them on the commissary for retail, for wholesale price, and that right. would be enough to keep those cells warm and cool as long as they had electricity. And like you pointed True. out, usually you always have electricity because it doesn't take much. I remember 10 years ago, we actually started burning books to stay warm at one point, but the smoke was killing them. So we had to stop yeah. that. But it was it was like, what do you do when it's, you know, 31 degrees below zero? And they had took the window the cell we were in, the window actually come out of the building because they used to use that window to go pick up the drops. They You could pull the whole window area out. You're, you're talking about contraband. Yes. Mm-hmm. You could pull the so there was no stop break and it was on the north end of the building, so we're getting a straight north wind. See, the thing is, there are things they can do, and the thing that's angering everyone is because they're not doing it. 
but don't do nothing. That's right. the, you know, they're not doing the, the simple things they could do. Duh. It's, it, it reminds me when I was a child going to elementary school, they would say the difference between Americans and Russians is that Americans would think independently and the Russians would blindly follow an order. Well, I found that that's what the problem is. A lot of those people know their orders are wrong, but what do they do? Quit their job, be unemployed, can't pay the mortgage, can't pay the car note, the insurance, you know, the rent. So we're not rent. blaming the guards and, and them. Yeah. I mean, it's not them. But, it, but the it's always somebody that's stopping the people, the staff that deal with the inmate population every day from doing mm-hmm. something to help. Mm-hmm. That's where it comes. That's where the, the funny stuff comes in. The guards mm-hmm. that deal with people every day would be inclined to, if if their supervisors would allow them, they would do something to help. And whether it's from DOC headquarters, whether it's coming from the warden's office or whatever, there's always somebody at the top. We can't do that. And they're afraid to ask to do certain things because it might be used against them in the staff meeting. Right. Right. And if the inmates do something, they get retaliated against. So it's like a catch-22. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I'm (laughs) sorry. I have an emergency that just come up. I really appreciate this time. And I pray for everyone and really thank all you kind people who have the compassion for someone who is sick and in prison and can't nobody go see him. Thank you. Uh, okay. Take care and come back on. Thank you. Rachel. You know, they have, they have like see-through TVs and see-through this and stuff. So, so that, you know, they started that maybe 15, 20 years ago, even uh, electrical plugs, uh, extension cords and stuff. So that, you know, make it harder for inmates to hide contraband if it's see-through. So like what he said, you know, uh, they can, you know, order, get a bunch of those uh, little ACs for the summer and, and little heaters like these little square things that are right. see-through, you know, and, right. and offer right. them on the canteen. That way they'll be making their little money like they want to, but same time, you know, and you don't need two per cell, you know, so... Right. That's an idea. It just just makes me wonder. I mean, do they want inmates to suffer? Because there's a way to for them to even make money off of them by giving them humane circumstances. Exactly. I don't think they think about it. You know, tell the truth, they don't think about it. But they should have thought about that. You know, this is a big deal when the water gets shut off, and especially when when boilers in a prison use needs water to keep the prison warm. That you know, that's major. That's major, and that's. No excuse for that. No excuse. Just none. Zip. Well, I'm going to give one more shout out for anybody who's um, got a loved one in Dick Connors, and they want to um, and they want to share what they know. Nine one seven three eight eight four five two zero, and you can press the number one. I think you and Ricky are doing and have done a great job describing the conditions there, and you know it's pretty much a no brainer that something can be done uh, to help this exactly. situation. It seems to me that it's, um, it is condoned by uh, the Department of Corrections and therefore the state 
that it's okay for uh, the city of Hominy to turn off uh, utilities, uh, heat, and whatnot uh, there um, so that the residents right. can be in full warmth and comfort. And, and, and you know, uh, well, what about rationing? You know, do people have to ration anyways? I know there are a lot of people that are rationing. Well, um, if prisoners are human beings, and um, <laughs> that it could be your child in there. It can be your husband in there. It can be your wife in there. It can be just one of those things, you know, where, look, the point is these people are human beings, and the punishment does not come with life-threatening conditions inside of prisons. Being in prison, away from family and away from freedom, that's punishment enough. You right. know, Oklahoma needs to, you know, get rid of this punishment attitude and pick up like Colorado has a rehabilitation attitude. Yes. Yes. It's just so different. Yes. Richard's calling me. That's... I got to go. Thank you. T- okay. 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 Bye. All righty. Well, there we go. By process of elimination, last but not least, <laughs> Melissa, I'm trying to call. We're, <laughs> Melissa, are you there? Hello? 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 Yeah, Melissa? Hi, Marty, I'm sorry. Okay, so do we have Melissa yeah. with us now? Uh, let Apparently me see not. if she's on with us. Do you see her logged we on? We are getting some... I think so, uh, but we are getting a major amount of interference tonight. We are. Yes, we are. Oh, boy, that's not good. No. Um, <laughs> well, that wouldn't be the first Is time. Is her call number eight? No, it wouldn't. 860 area code? Um, let me see. I just asked her if she's there here. So, um, okay. Um all right, she's on. So, Melissa, would you uh, like to come on now? Can you say something I'd, so we know that you're on with, live with us? She, Marty, says, she might be muted. She, needs, um, she said nobody can hear her, so let's see. Yeah. She's trying Tell, to tell her to hang up and call back. Tell her okay, to hang up and call you, back for some reason. Hang we're not up connecting. and call right back, and, and, um, and I'm sure you'll come through. Okay, okay so she's, she's going to hang up, up and so, she's going to call but back. No, we, we've got a lot of interference running through here tonight. Um, yeah. What okay. a surprise. What a surprise. And, uh, <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah. Okay, the wait a minute. There out. she is. Hang on. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, Melissa. Can you hear me? Yes, I'm here. There you go. Okay. There you are, Tony. All right. Thank you, Marty. Oh, Melissa Hurry, thank you so much for being on with us again. I know that you've been busy, busy, busy with all kinds of work. And and then you take it upon yourself to to be immersed in situations that are on the other side of the country uh, because you're in Connecticut. And, and, And yet you know more about Oklahoma and policy and uh, and the things that are being done and the things that can be done and different things that can help solve the situation, help solve a problem. 
um, than mm-hmm. than most people that 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 live there. And then it's not because they're necessarily um, not smart or or, or 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 whatever. It's just a matter of you know how to get things done, right? So can you please give our listeners your background and uh, what qualifies you? To be able to share this information, I know that you're, we I've announced that you are um, a Conviction Integrity Unit Specialist. Um, you, you know, you work in ethics and that you're an expert in this area. So can you let us, our listeners know more uh, about you? And if you're in Oklahoma, especially if you have a loved one there or if you've got a heart and you want to help people, um, you, you know that are on death row and they're innocent, <laughs> uh, please listen up. Please listen up. Okay. Hi, Tanya. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, you, I'm with the Office of State Ethics. I've been in the legal field for 23 years. Um, prior to that, I was with a private law firm where we I practiced criminal law for 17 years. So I've seen a lot. And just because I'm in Connecticut, I don't feel like issues that are going on and other states around the country don't need attention from other people outside of the state. So my wish is to go into policy reform, but I'm not restricting myself to only reforming policy in Connecticut. So I do take an interest, and I take an interest in abolishing the death penalty. That I, I, I know there's, you know there's still some support for it, but that's dwindling. And we can see by some of the legislation that's pending in Oklahoma that they're starting to question the process. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is as, as obviously a good thing, as they should. Yeah. And there is some pending legislation. So that's what I wanted to talk about tonight because, if, you know, if, especially if you're an Oklahoma resident, this, this is some important legislation for people who are on death row. And um, there are a few pending bills. And for a bill to get out of committee where all these bills currently stand, they need support. So the more people that get in touch with um, these representatives and senators, because um, two of the bills sit with judiciary, which is a, a Senate committee, and one of the bills um, sits with the Criminal Justice and Corrections Committee, which is a, a House committee. So they both need to make it out of committee. And I want people to know how they can go about supporting this legislation. Did you? Would you like me to... Um, speak a little bit about what each of these bills entails, yes. what, what yeah, I, legislation I they do. would change. Okay. Yeah, and can you, explain, can you explain to our listeners the process of the bills and why, and, and you know, okay, so it's, if it's made it to committee, committee it's already um, jumped through some hoops and has had some yeah. success. Yeah, they have to make and, it through committee. Bills are proposed, but unless you know, they make it through committee, but then they don't make it onto the House. And then if making it through the House, they, they pass on to the Senate. So there's a process that they have to follow. And the, the committee pro- process is crucial because a lot of bills die in committee. We don't want that to happen with these bills. And so it's important, and, um, it's important for the listeners to understand and those that are, you know, trying to help their loved ones in Oklahoma in particular, talking about these House bills, is that in order for it to have made it to committee, you have some representatives that are concerned about these issues and are actually trying to work on your behalf. Yes, there, and there's some really good proposed legislation here that would um, 
implement some huge um, protections, I guess you could say, for death row inmates. And Mm -hmm. um, so one of the bills is House Bill uh, 1551. And I'm trying to keep track of all all of this legislation. So um, that bill would be the implementation of a conviction integrity unit that would review death row cases. And that's crucial because, as we know, there are people on death row and there are some major questions in their cases. And this would give them an opportunity to have those cases and those issues reviewed by a conviction integrity unit. And um, according to the proposed legislation, the conviction integrity review unit would be, um, would be established by the Pardon and Parole Board. And, but it would be an independent committee, um, the members mm-hmm. of that. I'm sorry, an independent unit. So the members of that unit wouldn't have been employees of, the, of any of the DA's offices. That's crucial. Because mm-hmm. um, if there's one thing we should know about conviction integrity units, there are 60 um, in the country at the moment, but that doesn't mean that they all exonerate people. You have to follow a successful model to be successful in, in the mission of exonerating people. So mm-hmm. um, that that's huge. You can't, you know, if, if it's just, if they just use attorneys that are in the DA's office, it's pretty much they're so self-regulate and those decisions. So that that's a big thing. But this bill is currently in committee. And it's, again, I think I mentioned it's in the uh, Criminal Justice and Corrections Committee at the, at the moment. Um, so we need some support. I can guide people through. I could tell them how to get onto the um, Oklahoma legislature, the website, and it's, it's pretty easy to navigate yourself through there. And I, I will supply the, the number of the bills. So all okay. you really need to do is, is go on to the um, Oklahoma legislature. So it's oklegislature.gov, and that will bring you to the main website, and you can um, – you can do a bill search from there. And I will, again, provide the numbers of the bills. All you do is enter the numbers of these bills, and you can pull the bill up, and you can read the entire thing if you'd like. I, prov- I provide the names of yes, the committees. Yes, no, very much bills. like that. Uh-huh. And I'm looking right now at the authors and co-authors. I'm looking at the House Bill uh, 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 1551, and this is by McDougal. Yes. Okay. McDougal, uh, yes, Representative McDougal. And what I'm seeing right here at uh, at one of these uh, little tabs, okay, is um, and it's the authors, co-authors. Once again, it says remove Representative McCall as a principal House author and substitute with Representative uh, McDougal. Yes. So it Can is. You ex- it, yeah, it is. It's um, it is uh, McDougal's bill. But what they did is. I think they're proposing to make it part of the Oklahoma um, Prison and Reformatories Act, which would make it, um, that's, that's actually in the Oklahoma statute, that Title uh, 57 is the Oklahoma Prisons and Reformatories Act. And okay. when they amended the bill, that's where you would see the amendment. They're proposing that it be included at, at Section 371 of that act, which would still make it part of the statutes. And okay. what they were, what they're proposing again is the is the creation of a conviction integrity unit, and it's to review death penalty cases. And so, um, 
it, it made it through appropriations and budgets. I know that was the first committee that it, it went through. So now it's with, again, with the criminal justice and corrections committee, which is, I believe, a five-member committee. And I, I have all this information. I, I don't know that everybody's going to write it down during this broadcast, but I can get this well, information Well, the nice thing is that uh, people can also listen to the archive because the very link that they got on, oh, very good. if they're listening through the live stream link, uh, they can um, listen to it again and mm-hmm. um, write down the information from the archive. Uh, so at their leisure. Uh, but I think it's important that you share as much information uh, that you can because this is a, a path to uh, a more of a probability of success, and that's what we okay. and, that, and that's what that's what we need. All right. Well, you know, I'm all for explaining it in, in layman's terms because not everybody knows how to do this. A lot of people are um, there's a lot of advocates, and there's a lot of people that do a lot of things to advocate for these individuals. And this isn't something that everybody knows how to do, and it, it's something that could that is um, a, a great source of advocacy because this is where it all is, right? Legislation to change things, we have to change laws, and this is where laws begin. So you have to let your um, district representatives, as well as your district senators, know that you support this legislation, and you should let the the members of the committee absolutely know that you support um, this legislation. So if you're going to go on the Oklahoma State Legislature website, again, that's oklegislature.gov, it's going to bring you to main, the main screen. And if you go over, there's, uh, there's seven tabs across the top of the page. And if you go to le- the legislation tab, that's where you can start with your basic bill search. And it's, it's uh, the first selection on the list. And all you do is go to the next page, and you type in the number of the bill, and you search it. Now, the number of the bill for the Conviction Integrity Unit is HB uh, 1551. So that's House Bill 1551, abbreviated as HB. And then we have um, another bill that's regarding disclosure of all evidence and transparency of jailhouse informants used. And this is, again, in death penalty cases. And it it allows for a request of disclosure even after the trial is over. Um, This bill, uh, again, was introduced by Senator McDougal. That's House Bill HB 2219. And there is a third bill, and that would be HB 2220. And um, that bill is looking to create a death penalty review committee that would review each death penalty case in the state. Um, They're proposing a three-member committee, and that committee would consist of one a member that is suggested by the Oklahoma DA's Association, one member suggested by the Oklahoma Indigent Defense System, and then one recommended by the governor to be chosen from a list that's compiled by both uh, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma DA's Association and the Oklahoma Indigent, Indigent Defense Association. And mm-hmm. they would report their findings to the Pardon and Parole Board. And um, they would also report to the Pardon and Parole Board if they found any Brady violations, which if anybody doesn't know what that means, that would mean any evidence that was withheld by the prosecution um, that could have made a difference in the innocence or guilt of the defendant. So, um, now, how is that different from ex parte? uh, I'm sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Exculpatory evidence. It's pretty much the same. It's the same thing. They call it, yeah, it's the same the, thing. 
yeah, it's the case of Brady versus Maryland that established right. that. So that's yes, right. It's, it's okay. Withholding of any exculpatory evidence. Right. 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 So that's that's okay. Important for people to know that that is the same because. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's so that's good. So, um, do you feel that there needs to be a bill in place that preserves? evidence that is uh, uh, more careful with evidence. I mean, we know about all kinds of rape kits being destroyed. Uh, we know about, uh, we know that uh, many files have been destroyed um, that would otherwise be able to help uh, some inmates uh, and some people okay. with their cases. What? Well, the bill that know, I mentioned. I mean, go ahead. Uh, House bill. Uh, 2220, there's actually a provision in that bill that would require um, full disclosure of all evidence, but it would also be, it would also require that the entire file in death penalty cases be kept until 60 days after the defendant is no longer on death row. So they wouldn't be able to destroy files after the trial. Those files would have to be kept again until the, the defendant has been off of death row for six, for 60 days, however that would occur. But um, And that, that allows for that defendant to still get a, a full and complete copy of oh, yeah, their... Oh, yeah, at any time. Mm-hmm. At any time. And in, in addition, they would review, um, they would do a review of the cases as well. And um, that's a pretty crucial bill because we know that there's cases where defendants have requested information that's never been turned over to them by the prosecutors. Right. Right. And now in this day and age, there's every reason in the world why, you know, something can be uh, scanned in and, uh, and forever embedded into uh, the archives. Um, so there's no excuse for, oh, somebody didn't return a file. <laughs> Yeah, no, or you know, we don't keep we we don't keep that information after a certain number of years. I'm, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, it is a it is would be a protection from that, and it's evidence of any kind. It's it's all uh, paperwork, and it would apply to any death penalty cases. Okay. All right. So, so and that that is first and foremost important is uh, to yes. be able to save lives of, um, of the innocent men and women out there. And in particular in Oklahoma, you feel that uh, a couple of these, um, the, uh, of, uh, these bills can benefit uh, the likes of Richard Glossop and Julius Jones. So Absolutely. Let's talk about... Go ahead. Um, both of these bills would benefit um, both of those cases tremendously. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, th- all three of these bills would benefit those cases. And there's many questions um, regarding um, informants, perjured testimony, um, withholding of evidence. And these are all issues that cause wrongful convictions to happen. So when you have, if you, if you have a conviction review unit and you have a committee that reviews death penalty cases, um, we know that's necessary, and we know that's necessary because there have been 185 exonerations from death row since in the modern death penalty era, which they consider from the 70s to the present. 
So we know that innocent people have been exonerated from death row. What we don't know is if innocent people have been executed. But what we can say is if there have been 185 exonerations and there have been over 1,500 executions in that same period, are we to believe they got all 1,500 plus of those right? No. Well, no, we know, I don't we believe know that. that um, we know that there was Joyce Gilchrist and then uh, Gilchrist and another that are now gone. They've passed away. I'm trying to remember the name of the other yeah. um, prosecutor. Um, that um, it, had they been forthright in their duties to serve, um, that uh, there would be, be people living still. Um, that that were that were actually yeah. innocent. Yeah, um, Bob Macy, who was the DA. Bob Macy. Um, yeah, um, he was known for sending people to death row. I know we said this statistic before, but he sent 54 people to death row, and half of those um, were overturned. Is, are there more? I have an opinion on that. I mean, statistics don't lie, and we can only assume, like I said, if we've if the country as a whole has executed over 1,500 people, then I don't know that we should believe that the criminal justice system that we've had in the past and that we currently have now got all of those right because the system makes mistakes. And Mm -hmm. for the amount of wrongful convictions that there have been, we, we we, we have to have protections, especially in death penalty cases. I mean, somebody's life is on the line. If you're a yes. state that's going to continue to utilize the death penalty, which I'm encouraged because other states are abolishing it that we never thought would, like Virginia, mm-hmm. but if you still practice it, then you have an obligation to make sure that you're not executing innocent people. I'm not somebody who agrees with the death penalty, but it, there are still states that practice it. So that's all I'm saying is if you are one of those states, you have to provide some protections because we shouldn't be executing innocent people. That is for sure. That is for sure. That, yeah, that, that I, I, sure. we should be executing anybody at all, in my opinion, again. But like I said, right. you know, there are, unfortunately, there are still states that use it. And um, well, Oklahoma I I has no conviction views. integrity. In it. Yeah, no, I've, I've certainly changed my views since I've learned yeah. so, so much about it. And then and I've learned so much about, you know, uh, the, the fact that most of the people that are in prison actually come from abusive or addictive situations and that yeah. a reform really can work and um, and that we need to have compassion and uh, and and give people those chances. Um, I agree. I agree. I and try to educate people on, on, you know, the reasons why the death penalty is shouldn't be used anymore. There are alternatives to the death penalty. The death penalty is not fiscally responsible, meaning it's a waste of taxpayer dollars. Um, it's not a deterrent. We execute innocent people. I, we know we've exonerated innocent people, so we can assume that we've executed innocent people. There's statistics that point towards that. And there's an abundance of them. And it's right. arbitrary. And it's, it's racially disparative. So there's a, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't use the death penalty anymore. And if people okay. actually take the time to look at, at, at some cases and to, and to look at, you know, some of these statistics, 
they may question themselves, should we really be doing this? I would hope that they would question, should we really be doing this? And it just takes the time, you know, to, to look at it. That's all it is. I, it's just time to look it at is. it. And like Ricky had said, you know, you're lucky if uh, you get 15 seconds after waiting, you know, eight years, you know, to be in front of the pardon and parole board. Yes, yes. And, and, uh, and, and it's just not happening. It's just not happening. And now that being said, you're, you're not suggesting that uh, people that are on death row um, should be released necessarily, you know, because there are some people that are a risk to society and should never be uh, released. Yeah, no, because I'm, of- I'm not saying that they should free everybody from death row. I'm certainly not saying that. But right. we do need these protections because there, I fully believe there are people that are on death row in Oklahoma that, don't, that should not be there at all that no they don't commit the crimes that they're there for. And there's a pattern, and we know this, of Oklahoma using informants and, you know, Oklahoma withholding evidence in cases. And this legislation is the legislation that is going to hopefully better the, those issues. And that's, I was going to bring that up to you about the informants because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I I'm not keen on that at all. Uh, no. I mean, I can understand where an informant can come in handy, but there's so many motives for the informant to to uh, just provide information to just keep themselves in the clear. Oh, absolutely. You know? And these bills are intertwined, and I say that because if you look at House Bill 2219, that bill also deals with um, full disclosure of evidence, but it also deals with full transparency of any any witnesses and any jailhouse informant testimony that's used. So they would be obligated under this bill to present um, the names um, of the people they would be using as informants. Have they um, provided informant testimony before? Are they offered any, any deals or leniency in exchange for their testimony? And um, this is all information that would be co- required to be disclosed to the defense. So um, that, that's, that's crucial as well. We have, we have some legislation um, similar to that here in Connecticut that we passed in 2019. It's uh, transparency with jailhouse informants. So I'm kind of familiar with the, the legislation, but, you know, it does require keeping um, the proper data and statistics. So I would hope mm-hmm. that if this bill is implemented, which I hope it will be, that they will um, do that because in order for, for that to work, you need that. And that was an issue that we were going over in Connecticut as well. So, Okay. So House Bill 1551. Uh-huh. Um, as you said, so let's go through these a little bit more one at a time. And let's let's dive into this specifically a little bit more, okay? Um, how they started out, how they've changed, and we know that quite often that sometimes a bill goes in and it comes out very different than what it originally looked like, and people think that it's something that it really isn't, and then it winds up being a disappointment. Mm-hmm. In this case, 
that's not the case, is it? It's well, it's still in committee. They haven't amended it to, to really change the language yet. Um, the only thing I believe that they amended was that they want to make it part of the Oklahoma Prisons and Reformatories Act. So mm-hmm. it would be included in that act, but it would still be legislation. And um, it, and again, that, that bill is for the creation of a, a conviction integrity review unit that would be established by the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And um, it, the purpose of it would be to review convictions of any inmates who have received the death penalty. So then if it's established by the Board of Pardon and Parole, then it's important to have an effective Board of Pardon and Parole. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's another issue. So, yes. That is another issue. Yeah. It, and it's upholding. It's upholding the, the laws as they as they are now, the rules as they are now. But let's just say that um, that – it, that they are, they are okay, and they've established a committee, um, mm-hmm. and they put it into the uh, Reform Act. Right? Can mm-hmm. you can you relay to us what that would mean if it's in the Reform Act? Like, how would that not work even if it was independent from that? Um, it. It's still going to be part of legislation. I'm not sure why they want to make it part of the act, maybe because the act is already established, and it would just be them adding a section. It would be they would okay, add a section to that act. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay. And um, the thing is, too, about that, uh, the, the Board of Pardon and Parole will, will establish the unit, but they can't do it with any current employees or um, of the Office of the Attorney General nor the uh, DA's office. Okay, but they can't do that, you said. They, yeah, they cannot. They, they wouldn't be able to appoint anybody who's currently in either of those offices, which is a good thing. Okay, well, that's that very good to know. Independent. Because you worry yes. about the conflict of interest there. Absolutely, because like I said, there are 60 um, conviction integrity units in this country, but that doesn't mean that they're all operating how they should be operating. Right. Right. And if you don't okay. follow an independent model like that, then um, it's it's hard to sincerely um, exonerate innocent people. And so, how do you feel? Um, how do you feel that about getting citizens involved in in these committees, like oversight committees with citizens? Like, for instance, with the um, Oklahoma County Jail, um, a lot of people are saying that that um, people should, one of the demands is allow citizens, the lather to be a citizen watch. Mm-hmm. Um, where now we understand that there's liability, if, you know, there's different things that have to be concerned about, the health and well-being of um, the oversight of, of citizens. But then again, um, you can always have one of the guards there at the same time, too, right? Mm-hmm. So there's ways around things is what I'm trying to say. There, there's ways around things. So how do you feel about um, citizens being engaged and involved in these kinds of oversight committees versus, you know, the fox guard in the hen house? Yeah, no, I, I have um, no opposition to citizens being involved in committees. That, that would be a good thing. And 
I think that people can voice, even, you know, as just a citizen, not being part of a legislative committee, you still have a voice. You can contact your your representatives. And that's why I feel that people should contact their district representatives and their district senators to let them know that they support this legislation. You can also find Mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're not sure of who your district House representative is or your Senate representative, you can also find that on um, the Oklahoma legislature website. But it's crucial to contact them, and it's crucial to contact the representatives and senators that sit on the committees where, where these bills are at the moment to let them know that there's support for these bills. And I, I agree that emailing is very effective. Um, yeah. When I have an issue, if, if, if there's an issue that I want to discuss with any of my representatives or senators from my state, I always send them an email. And they're very responsive. And it's a paper trail. So, you know, yes. we love the fact that people are calling, 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 but really there's not a paper trail there. Um, you could do and, both. And so, if you're going to call, I suggest that you email as well. But you could do both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it doesn't hurt for them to hear from as many people as we can get to contact them to let them know, yeah, these bills are important and we don't want to see innocent people being executed because I would hope that nobody wants to see that in the state of Oklahoma or any other state. Or anywhere, right. Anywhere. Right. So, um, and and as far as a conviction integrity unit goes, what mm-hmm. is a conviction integrity unit made up of? Well, um, it, it, they follow I know we've had models. you on before and, and these were, you know, shows, you know, conversations that went, you know, for a show. But can you explain the Conviction Integrity Unit, how it, uh, it can successfully be composed? And then we'll move on and talk a little bit more about, you know, the other two bills a little bit more, if you don't mind. Sure, no, I don't mind. Um, conviction Integrity Units are created to, re- to review um, convictions uh, for actual innocence. So they've actually um, played a role in, in several exonerations. So they, they review cases, and if there's questions of, of innocence, they investigate those questions. And it's people with, you know, with claims of actual innocence that apply to these units for their cases to be reviewed. So um, just the, the last year of, of full record, 2019, um, there were 143 exonerations in that year. And out of those um, 87 exonerations where um, the conviction integrity units played a role in 87 exonerations in that year. And they collaborated with innocence organizations um, in another 35. So it's crucial. Um, they, if they are implemented and created correctly, they definitely can exonerate innocent individuals. And when I say correctly, um, it cannot be just prosecutors or district attorneys that review these cases. A successful model has been proven to um, include others, defense counsel, um, sometimes innocence project attorneys, even investigators that that come from the defense side. It's got to be a collaboration of people to honestly look at these convictions and whether or not they should be overturned. Okay, so, uh, and is it, is it fair to say that these are for people that are sentenced to life and death, 
or uh, is it also just people with long sentences? I mean, because I know that people are listening, saying, okay, well, you know, 30 years could be the rest of so-and-so's life. So can would a conviction integrity unit also uh, lay a hand on um, those with uh, lengthy sentences? Should it, should yeah, it be um, requested? Now, the legislation that's proposed in Oklahoma is a review of death penalty cases. Right. Um, conviction integrity, other conviction integrity units review um, any cases where actual innocence is claimed. It doesn't necessarily have to be a death penalty case. Okay. Um, I don't know if in the future they will um, consider other cases. I would hope so. Um, I know that it is most crucial to review these death penalty cases, and perhaps that's why the legislation right now is, is written the way it is, because um, right. even in the, the, the proposed bill uh, for the Conviction Integrity Unit, they want to have that unit implemented by November of this year. And, it, you know, it takes time yeah. to set up the unit. It takes time it takes to hire time people to operate it. Right. And, and it could wind up. This, this bill. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it, exactly. It could wind up being, um, uh, it could wind up making the difference between a life or not, potentially, Absolutely. if you try to add too much to one bill. It's better off being separate. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we need to worry about those, those people that are on death row first. Not that it doesn't matter if other people have been wrongfully convicted because it does, but we know mm-hmm. the finality of a death sentence. So I, I think that takes precedence, takes precedence over the others right now. Yes. 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 Especially okay. with, with so all then, the questions. Um, uh, okay. So a little bit more uh, again about uh, twenty House Bill 2219, disclosure of evidence. Uh, we've already gone over that it would have to be uh, it would have to be that everything is preserved if there is a, um, somebody exonerated from the death row um, then that information would have to be held on to for how many days well it, it would be um, for 60 days it'd have to be held on well that that's part of bill 2220 that that where it outlines how long they have to keep that's part of 2220 so um this bill 2219 it's an act relating to the criminal procedure and so um it's the discovery code and it would provide for disclosure of evidence after conviction or a guilty plea so it wouldn't be just prior to trial that would it would be ongoing after somebody's already been convicted they can still require or request the full disclosure of the prosecutors discovery district attorneys and or attorney generals and um they would have that continuing obligation to provide that and i think that's key that it can be requested after the completion of trial because they like to say there's all these protections in death penalty cases and there are uh layers and layers of appeals and habeas uh, petitions and actions but it's very hard to overturn a case we know this so it's you're held to whatever you know happened before trial or yeah or procedural bars they call them. Um, mm-hmm. You know they would at least be able to request this information after the trial. And I, I would like people to look up the bill and, and look because there is a whole list of um, disclosure that they actually outline in this bill, from documents to um, prior criminal convictions of any defendants or co-defendants, which is important. 
because it's not always jailhouse informants who provide testimony in these cases, because in Julius Jones's case, um, we had the co-defendant, Christopher Jordan, who only ended up serving 15 years, um, mm-hmm. even though he was, he was also convicted of first-degree murder, and we had two career informants that testified on, on behalf of the state as well, who we know had prior criminal records and who we believe had been given either no sentence or a very lenient sentence in exchange for their testimony. So we need to know. It, yeah, it seems to be far too common. It sounds very similar to um, what led to wrongful convictions and over-sentencing in the law and four. Um, yeah, and you know, the, the that, thing is... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. It, it, I'm sorry. The only thing I was going to say, and the thing with this is that a lot of... Um, I mean, innocence organizations are essential in, in exonerating people, but a lot of the innocence organizations do cases um, where uh, DNA evidence is available. And not every case, a DNA case, so not every wrongful conviction happened because of faulty DNA. We know that the two most c- common components now to wrongful convictions are perjured testimony and official misconduct. Those are the two most common denominators when you think about a wrongful conviction now. So that we is something have... that people need to know, and that's what okay. we need. These people that are representatives that are coming out with these uh, with these bills, okay? That yes. th- they need to know that as as well, and we can only hope that they take that into consideration. Um, and what about immunity? So see how this rolls into one issue after another? It, it really does mean cleaning things right up, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, there's no accountability when these things happen. And when something happens, when a wrongful conviction happens, it's not by accident. I mean, I'm sure there have been cases where there have been errors, but these are blatant misconduct is uh, you know in misconduct can be police misconduct or prosecutor misconduct or both because sometimes right. they go hand in hand and i mean again there there were 143 exonerations in 2019 101 of those perjured testimony was a factor and in 93 of them misconduct was a factor so we're talking a huge number in which the, the both of these components have played a factor in exonerations and if you talk about death row exonerations and the 185 exonerations I had mentioned that have occurred mm-hmm. um, for, from individuals on death row since the 70s, uh, over two-thirds of those include either perjured testimony or misconduct, and just over half of them include both. So we need to wow. do something, like you said, to clean that up. That, that's, not even, I don't need, that's not even the correct wording. It's atrocious. Right. With us knowing this information, these are statistics that can be found on the Death Penalty Information Center. They keep very accurate statistics on everything. Okay, the Death Penalty Information Center. Information Center. uh, Okay, and that's not specific to... Okay, all right, and that's not specific. Does it break it down into state? It breaks everything down. It is an invaluable resource for someone like me or anybody who's interested in looking at the death penalty and saying what's really going on here. It breaks it down by state. Uh, It breaks it down by years. Um, What we also know about the death penalty is that 
it is not a deterrent. And I can say that confidently, and I can say it because if you go back to 1990 and you look at states that have the death penalty and states that do not have the death penalty, the crime rates are actually higher in every single year in the states that have the death penalty. So if the crime rates are higher in those states, the murder rates, excuse me, are higher in those states, then we know that the death penalty is not serving as a deterrent because the states that aren't practicing it have lower crime rates. That's oh my goodness. I mean, you can't get any simpler than that. And not to mention violence in prison. Yeah. Nothing um, to lose. Yeah, nothing to lose. And, I mean, we could talk about the conditions of death row in Oklahoma, and that's a whole other story. Um, but it's just we need to, to correct this. We have to correct this because I feel like the national consensus is starting to sway, and there's less and less support for the death penalty every year. Like I mentioned, mm-hmm. who, would thought, who would have thought that Virginia would have abolished the death penalty? They used to execute right. the most people and the fastest. If you were sentenced to death in Virginia – you were going to execution pretty quick. They were, right. they were the ones who were, you know, really exercising executions. And if they can right. abolish the death penalty, I think we can, we, we can sway that national consensus to have other states abolish it as well because it's not working. Right. And many different right. areas, it's, it's not. Well, we, since we are talking about Oklahoma um, tonight and, and, and bringing that in, I, I appreciate you bringing that into play, and that's huge. That is huge when different states can, you know, uh, we have people that are listening from different states, and so much of this applies, uh, and that's why it's important for there to be some things that on the federal level are, um, mm. are, are, are done because yes. uh, what's the incentive if, if it's been proven not to work to keep something that doesn't work? Um, you know, there is also a bill on the federal level to abolish the federal death penalty. It was um, sponsored by Iona Presley, who is the uh, representative from Massachusetts, and it's had okay. several co-sponsors since. So it is a bill okay. that would abolish the federal death penalty. Now, we know this is important because we've just had a whole bunch of people who were executed from federal death row. And yes. so if and now I – There was like five or six the, of them um, – just recently before um, the transitioning of the president. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. If you go back to July, I believe there was 15, yeah, that were executed um, in that time period. It it was somewhere around there, and there were some very um, questionable ones. I mean, I know we we were speaking about, um, you know, why people might end up on death row. And just, for instance, the execution of Lisa Montgomery, um, Oh. Was, uh, I, I mean, those, that system failed that woman her whole entire life, and she had a, a horrific life from when she was a child through adulthood, and she never received the help that she really needed. And yes, she committed a horrific crime, but yeah. we, we had she was sex trafficked by her mother and her stepfather for all of her childhood, and so we need to look at those types of things when we when we think that killing somebody is the right thing to do because you have someone like that who the system has failed their entire life and now you're going to kill them. And they did. They, they, they executed Lisa Montgomery. So, I mean, cases like that you also have to look at because even times when people have actually committed the crimes, 
Why? Mm-hmm. Why don't we look at why and, and what the mental, issues were? Right. Yeah. Mental disabilities. Yeah. And, right. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. They're, they're horrific. And, and, you know, it's the same administration that, you know, has done great things in, in um, starting to go after um, sex trafficking and pedo- pedophiles and, and, you know, fresh starts and, and things like that. But I do believe it failed. Uh, when it when it comes to the death penalties, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I couldn't agree, couldn't agree more. Ter- yeah, terribly. Uh, there's and and it's still hard to just um, even try to ascertain how they they chose who was executed and and why. I mean that's that's a whole story too. You know, what motives were behind the people that they just executed in in those months from July um, through the end of that pre- the presidency in, on that term so right I, that, and so I, I, I wonder that, if it's because they were the most heinous um without understanding the the full capacity of the background or uh, i really don't know um but they yeah. cannot be brought back no they cannot be brought back and and then there, there were cases where um the person who was executed wasn't even the one who took a life so that and i'm glad you said heinous because that's very discretionary as well Yes. Yes. The death penalty is supposed to be reserved for the most heinous crimes. Okay, so what is heinous? Right. Is is right. Is Who one decide? Yeah. I mean, so you, you you can't tell me if if you have somebody who, um, you know, kidnapped and raped a young child for and kept them hostage for ten years. We know these cases have happened, but didn't murder the child. Is that not a heinous crime? That's heinous. I mean, right. you can't say that's not. So, right. I mean, that it's, so it's very discretionary is what I'm saying is what one person would consider heinous versus what another person would consider heinous. So when I think of right. heinous, I certainly don't think of someone who didn't actually kill anybody because there's been people right. who have killed people who have escaped the death penalty. So it, there's right. no rhyme or reason. Right. Right, so we we definitely need reform on on sentencing guidelines, um, much less of a uh, of a at the discretion of the judge completely. And we understand that um, you know, well, depending on depending on what it is, depending on the uh, how it's being brought forward. So um, we also have. I see that we have uh, Colleen McCarthy. She is very, very busy um, with, uh, let me see, okay, authored by, okay, so I guess it's Colleen McCarthy that is putting these up on 2021 legislative uh, agenda here in, in, well, in Oklahoma. Uh, we've got authored by David Rader, uh, the most ambitious legislative, uh, uh, legislation in this session the potential to help Oklahomans serving excessive sentences for truly nonviolent crimes while saving the state over a hundred million dollars over the next ten years. So mm-hmm. that is uh, that's up. It's it's Oklahoma Bill seven oh four. Okay. So again, uh those of you that are listening, um this is on uh this is uh okjusticereform.org. And then it's forward slash 2021 dash legislative dash agenda. Um, so these are, uh, once again, some other bills that uh, 
that are coming up. Oklahoma House Bill 2879, Violence Prevention Innovation Fund. Okay, uh, this is um, uh, to have partnered with the providers of services to domestic violence victims in creating House Bill 2879. In short, House Bill 2879 takes savings from significant sentencing reforms outlined in uh, uh, Bill um, 704 and funnels them to providers who can support and innovate ways to reduce interpersonal and gender-based violence. Okay, another bill, Now I understand these are not death penalty related, but I think it's important while we have a captive uh, audience here, medical parole reform. Okay, so this is a reform bill, um, House Bill 1903 and uh, State Bill 320 and State Bill 396. They define the medical frailty, medical vulnerability for medical parole consideration to expand compassionate release and safely reduce the prison population. Mm-hmm. How much is that needed? It's uh, very uh, much needed. Um, uh, there, there's yeah, a lot of there, there is at least half or not over capacity. Yeah, um, they definitely need to reduce the prison population there's a there's a you know there's a, quite a few bills that are pending regarding uh, criminal justice reform i know there's another bill i don't know what the number of it is right off the top of my head but it's a bill that is is dealing with reentry assistance for people before they actually are released and and that's crucial too because i don't think that people know how much goes you know how much is endured by people who are released from prison and the things that they need to do once they're out. You know, our goal is to make them productive members of society again. So, you know, if they are able to, to, to get some of their, uh, the issues resolved before they're even released. And, you know, we might not think of these things, but I've, I've studied some in reentry and for people to have their IDs and, and their social security cards and just essential documentation like that before they walk out of prison is essential because think of yourself right. walking out of prison and you don't have anything and, and you don't have any of your ID and you, go, you have to find a job, but you have to go get all this identification and take care of all that. Driver's license. First. Yeah. So it's overwhelming. I mean, there's no reason why they can't start giving assistance in some of those areas before someone's released. We know, you know, that people foresee that, you know, when they're eligible for release, whether it be parole, probation, whatever, and have some of those things in place before they're released. It gives them at least a, a chance when they are, re- are released back into society. So I think that's mm-hmm. important. They're already dealing with a, a, suddenly a new element. We, given Absolutely. the lack of reform at this time, uh, you know, uh, so talk about not being prepared. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've done some... I know some people who are very much into reentry here in my state in Connecticut. So, and they do a very good job of of doing it. They have services like you know, like peer peer um, mentor services. A very good friend of mine, Daryl McGraw, who is very much into reentry in Connecticut, has a, a program where he has peers for people who are coming back into society that helps them to do the things that they need to do. And it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, some some people, it's not easy for them to find housing. It's not easy for them to find 
like I said, again, that, that even their identification uh, to find jobs, we know that's not easy. So anything that can help with reentry is much needed to keep in that prison population down because if you don't have certain services in place once you're released, you're almost guaranteed to, re- um, to go back to jail, and that keeps um, recidivism rates really high. Recidivism meaning you get out and you go back. Mm-hmm. And and so is um, your friend there? Is that a nonprofit organization or um, that is that is doing this, and uh, or is this a um, something that has become part of, of the state uh, process for release? Uh, he actually has an organization called Formally Inc. Um, he's a formerly incarcerated individual. That's why it's called Formally Inc. So um, okay. he's been there. And he is remarkable because he he knows more than anybody that I know on these issues, and um, he is a huge uh, advocate for you know for criminal justice reform as well. Um, he was wow, even the, that's uh, fantastic. Co- he was the co-chair of the uh, Police Accountability and Transparency Legislative Task Force that passed a very big police accountability bill. Um, well, they helped pass a very big police accountability bill in our state which went into effect in July of 2020, which made great reforms to um, policing the way it's done in Connecticut. Fantastic. That's huge. So, that's huge. Yeah, that and so huge. something like that, you know, should uh, be considered by other states. That yes, are, yes. Um, I mean, definitely, because the goal is to keep the prison population down. And if people are getting out of prison and they, and they don't have any assistance and they can't get the services that they need, and those include, you know, a, a good number of services. Um, uh, for best practice offender services, you know, there's a whole list of things that need to be hit in order to be considered best practice, which would be a, an effective program. So um, really people that don't get those services are, have a, a very high rate of going back and, and reoffending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so there's so much work to be done. There's so much work to be done, and uh, again, priority belongs with those that are facing the death penalty. Yes, uh, that's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Okay, Oklahoma, we've got three more here. Um, we can quickly go through just as others that are not related to the death penalty, and then, wow, and then our time will be up. Oklahoma Senate Bill 360, Possession with Intent to Distribute Reform. Okay, so that defines possession with intent to distribute, uh, to distinguish between a felony and a simple possession uh, of a misdemeanor. This change prevents inappropriate and inconsistent charging practices. Um, And I know that it was just not that long ago that uh, they did um, change uh, certain uh, crimes from being a felony to being a misdemeanor, and maybe this is cleaning that up a little bit. Um, maybe that's what that is, is something to clean it up, but I don't see it as an amendment, so I'm probably wrong. Oklahoma Senate Bill 686, Hospice Care Work Program, and this is for uh, Oklahomans, of course, that are incarcerated. End-of-life care is something that many people need in order to die with dignity including Oklahomans who are incarcerated. I think that's so important. 
Um, and, and then I and then I wonder, okay, well, <laughs> that's a good bill, but wouldn't that person be? Couldn't that person be released um, with the compassionate care under that uh, House Bill 1903, mm-hmm. uh, one that we were speaking about earlier? You know, um, so these are all separate bills, but maybe it's like, okay, if one doesn't go through, then maybe another one. At least we have this as a, you know, as a hope. But I would think that... Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I know and that like, um, the, the the previous ahead, bill please. that you had had mentioned um, regarding the possession with intent to distribute, I, I believe that is also some uh, necessary legislation because there are many um, drug sentences where people have been over sentenced, and I don't think that um, if you want, you, I don't think you need to keep those people in prison for excessive amounts of time if you truly want to reduce the prison population. So I think that's essential right. too. Right. And and especially when they're nonviolent. Exa- yeah, exactly. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's other legislation. I mean, we could talk about other things that they really do need to do. And I'm a big um, supporter of second look legislation. Not that that's any pending legislation in Oklahoma that I know of at the moment, but it should be. Mm-hmm. And, and second, second look, look legislation. And can, and can you define mm-hmm. what that would look like? No pun intended. Well, second look legislation is intended to review sentences of life, uh, lengthy sentences like life sentences, life without parole sentences, because mm-hmm. um, there, there's many factors that go into those sentences. There's people who have been sentenced to life without parole at very young ages. Um, So we question their cognitive ability when they were sentenced, the ability for them to know really what they were doing was wrong and to have, you know, the culpability. And and we also question um, the fact that people age out of crime. So Mm -hmm. for someone to spend the the rest of their life in prison um, on a life without parole, to give you an idea, um, one in seven sentences, and this was found by the Sentencing Project, um, one in seven sentences are uh, sentences of life without parole. That's not just in Oklahoma. That's on a national basis. So wow. I feel like we need to, yeah, I feel like we need to be reviewing those those sentences because I don't think that, you know, especially at the age of 18, 19, 20 years old, um, I, I just don't feel that we need to be imprisoning someone for the rest of their life with no hope that ever re-entering society again, we don't know that those individuals cannot be rehabilitated. And, and oh my research gosh. shows us As a that fact, they can. They can. Have you seen Keith Brown? His case? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll have to send that your way. But, um, yeah, definitely. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. That's a – yep. Great, great points. Again, there's so many factors to take into consideration. And, uh, you know – yeah, and just to, uh, yes, you need sentencing guidelines so it's fair and, and, you know, there's not favoritism, but other things need to come into um, into review. Yeah. yeah. Getting factors, like you, like you said, you, you know. Um, okay, and then we have one more, and this mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, this is uh, funding, uh, SQ781 funding money for addiction treatment. Hello. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. It's been almost five years since the voters affirmatively said yes to have criminal justice reform that can save lives and taxpayer dollars. In those five years, the relevant stakeholders have not been able to settle upon a correct dollar amount that it can be fun- that can be funneled into uh, state question 781 fund. So that's been laying stagnant. And I, I mean, why does it take that much time to determine that? Is it because uh, it might wind up um, uh, the, the program could be so successful that there's less inmates, less recidivism, uh, recidivism, and could it be mm-hmm. because um, the, the bottom line is that there's not going to be as much money coming into play? But the good thing is, we see this state question is alive. And so that means it matters to some of your representatives out there, people. So we need mm-hmm. to you know, back these representatives. We need to back these people that are putting these bills forward, these state questions forward, because they're not all bad, okay? These are the ones that are actually working for you, all right? They're working for you. They've heard your voices, and we need to appreciate them. We need to let them know how much we appreciate them. We need to support them. Uh, because the more support you're giving these people that are doing representatives that are doing the right things, the more pressure that puts on the, the other reps not to oppose it. Okay, so mm-hmm. if it becomes an unpopular opposition, that person is going to risk what being not reelected, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> so um, that's why. It's what very do you important. have to say about that? Well, that's why it's very important for people to voice their opinions to their um, House representatives and their, and their district senate, senators because you are the people that elect these politicians and they have to listen to what their constituents want and what they support. So the more support that, the, that people of Oklahoma show these um, senators and representatives, the more, you know, for these bills, they're, they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to do something. They're going to have to do something. So um, we want them to do their jobs, so you have to let them know that, okay? Uh, We can't go attacking them all, all the time, all right, because we do need uh, to support the ones that are doing the right things um, for the state of Oklahoma and any state, and uh, things can really get done. So um, please listen to Melissa Hari's Uh, words that were very, very, very clear with how you can help save at least two lives of two wrongfully convicted men in Oklahoma, Julius Jones and Richard Glossop, okay? And there are many, many Mm -hmm. others that are wrongfully incarcerated or some others. And and then the over-sentencing, but let's, number one, let's save these two men's lives, okay? Please share this archive because the archive will be out tomorrow. Melissa, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you. And we'll have you back on again very, very soon. And uh, just cherish your intelligence and your ability to apply all that's going on in the criminal justice uh, reform to, you know, uh, the people that are in Oklahoma and other states. So thank you and take care. 
Um, I want to thank the listeners. Thank you uh, again to Ricky, Oscar Williams, and Trisha Hubbard-Fox for coming on. Please shout out to your representatives. Send an email along with the phone calls. I'm Tanya Hathaway, Tanya Talks. Where your voice is heard and your story is told. God bless and good night. Thank you. Thanks, Tanya.